Um, we have so far in this series, we've talked about the how, and there were seven principles of how to date right in a swipe right culture. And if you missed any of those, again, go to the website and kind of um, kind of get there. And and what we talked about as the, in the how to dating, we said that dating is a process of evaluation, uh, a process that you move through, not a status that you just arrive in and, and sit in. And so we talked about, okay, how do we move through this process? What are some principles that we apply as the movement through this process? And next, and, and Shannon kind of started this last week, we're talking about who. So we talked about how to date, and now um, we're, we're going to finish tonight with, with who to date. And there, there's two ways that I say this. The first way is super confusing, but I always kind of bring it anyway, but are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? So if you're a follower of Jesus, especially in the room, you have an ideal of what you know you should be looking for. And the question is, are you who the person that you're looking for, this ideal person that you're looking for, are you who that person is looking for? And it's a question of, are you, are you just more focused on finding the right person um, versus being the right person. So are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? And we're going to kind of try to tie a bow on that tonight. And then again, anything that's like kind of left hanging out there, make sure you bring that next week uh, for that Q&A. Let me just pray for us as we get into this tonight and just ask God to, uh, to help us in our next few moments together. God, thank you for your word tonight. God, I thank you just for how practical and relevant your word is. And God, I know to some, uh, the scriptures can just feel like this book that's old and, and might have some good ideas, but is really disconnected from where we are as a people and where we are as a society and a culture. But Father, I just thank you um, that your word stands up to the test of time. And Father, is always relevant, is always powerful, is always active. So Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you'd come and that you would move, and that you would apply your word to our hearts, and um, where conviction is needed, would you bring that? Where encouragement is needed, would you bring that? But most of all, Jesus, I pray that you are magnified in these moments together, and I pray, God, that we, um, we believe you when you say that in you is fullness of joy, um, God, and especially as it pertains to our relationships with one another. And so, God, would you just teach us I pray. And Jesus, I ask these things in your name. Amen. Now, the truth is, and you might not believe me, but the truth is that tonight, anybody in here can get a date. Anybody. I've, I've seen it happen. Um, if you set your standards low enough, you can get a date tonight. But to have a great dating experience, which is the whole reason that we're doing this series, because we want you to date right, um, and to have a great marriage, which we hope that your dating life turns into for you, one that you rejoice in and one that you don't regret, it's based on two factors. And, and how to date, which we've kind of gone through, and now who to date, the person and the process of, uh, of dating. Like if, if dating is a process of evaluating, which we kind of believe it is, uh, it, you are evaluating a, a, a person and you're trying to evaluate, is this the person that I want to be with for the rest of my life? That's the, that's the who question. Now, the Bible doesn't talk about dating specifically, but the Bible talks a lot about people and it talks about the kind of people that we should be and the kind of people that we should be with. 
So the Bible has a lot to say about a good woman or a good wife. Proverbs says that she's more valuable than precious jewels. In, in Proverbs, um, it says that to, it's better to dwell in the corner of a roof than to live with a contentious woman. Now, this is why the Bible is so helpful. That verse is not written to married men, like, oh, why didn't you tell me, right? No, it's written to, for the single guy, right? So guys, if you're evaluating a certain girl, right, you're, you're asking yourself, okay, if I want to apply that scripture, like, I need to ask questions of this girl. Like, is she, like, always upset, right? Am I always kind of having to ask her, like, what's wrong, no, seriously, what's wrong? No, why are you upset? Why, is she the kind of girl who like always has beef with people, right? So Proverbs is trying to help you. Look, okay, marrying that woman is going to be like literally living in the corner of your roof. Is that what you want? Is that what you want to sign up for? Ladies, Proverbs is really helpful for you too. Proverbs 25 says that a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. In an ancient city, a, wall with, uh, a city without walls brought insecurity, right? A, a, a city without walls meant a lack of peace, right? So you don't want to live with that guy. If you bind yourself with him, he will not build up your house. He will destroy it, right? You'll live your days as a married woman and you will not feel safe and you will not feel peace. So if the person that you're kind of pursuing going after. There's a, a, a pattern of lack of self-control in different areas of his life. That's not the person that you want to bind yourself with. And, and, the, and the reason we have to talk about this is because our modern problem, our modern issue with dating is that we tend to look for characteristics and not character. We tend to look for characteristics and not character. And by characteristics, I mean we look at features, which are not bad things. We're going to talk about that. They're not bad things to notice, but they're bad foundations. So we look for characteristics and not character. And again, not bad things to notice, but they make bad foundations because they're not designed to handle the weight or the strain of a marriage. And, and for many of us, we want to put the weight and the strain of that relationship on characteristics that aren't meant to handle that weight. So a lot of times, I mean, if you're talking to somebody about the kind of features that they're looking for, right, they start to list things, attributes of, a, of, of mostly external, right? So I want, him, I want the guy to be tall, but not too tall, right? I want him to look good, but not too into his looks, right? You know, I want him to have muscles, but not at the gym all the time. You know, I want him to have money, but not too much money. You know, I, I, I want... The this kind of person, and what you're doing is you're kind of assembling this fantasy. You're assembling Chris Hemsworth. You, that's what you want. You want Chris Hemsworth, right? And, and, for, and for guys, we do the same thing because in our modern age, we're, we're, we look at this like endless display, uh, an, an endless display of images of women. And even though you don't say it out loud, and a, a lot of us, it happens subconsciously, you don't even know that it's happening, but you're starting to assemble a fantasy person in your, in your mind, like, like you're putting together a burrito bowl at Chipotle. And that's what we, that's what we do. And that's, what we, that's the problem. That's the modern problem with dating is that we're, we're making these unfair and unreasonable assemblies of people who don't even exist, and, and, and we're comparing real people to that, and so it doesn't allow us to have authentic and honest relationships because we are, we're living in this kind of fantasy world, and what it does is it sets us up for serious disappointment and discouragement um, because there's no person that can measure up 
uh, to what we're trying to put together in our mind when all we look at are characteristics. The, the other problem, um, the other reason that that doesn't work is, is because you don't actually know what you want. You don't actually know what you want. So Match.com in 2008 hired this, a, a chief of algorithms, right? So chief of algorithms. And they hired him because they wanted to figure out as a dating site when people entered the features that they wanted. So they would enter, okay, I want somebody who's this height, this weight, uh, this religion, you know, they kind of put in all the things that they want. They wanted to understand that, that why, as people t- kind of typed in their ideal dates, the people that they, were ultim- that they were matched up with when they put in that list of things that they want, that list of features that they want, they rarely made it past the first date. And so they were trying to figure out, okay, why doesn't our algorithm work? People were putting in all these things that they wanted, and they would get matched up with the people who matched all that criteria, but those, those relationships would barely make it through the first date. So this guy kind of digs into the data, and here's what he found. He said that when they compared what people said they wanted to who they actually dated, he said when you looked at their habits, there was absolutely no correlation. So in other words, they would make this list of all these things that they wanted, but the people that they would actually date and end up with had nothing to do with all the data that they put in. And, and, and the, all the studies concluded that it's virtually impossible for any algorithm where you type in the features that you want to put one person that you want to marry. Why? Because we don't know. Now, now think about it. when you describe, when you sit around with your friends and you describe the person that you'd like to marry, what most of us do, not everybody in the room, but most of us do, we describe this idealized version of ourself. That's what we're describing. We're describing like a better version of ourselves. And let me just tell you right now, you don't want to marry you. I know that sounds like that would be great, but you don't want to marry you. You want to marry someone who compliments you, not you. And dating sites have figured this out, so the, which is Tinder. And I know not everybody's on Tinder, but there, somebody's on t- Tinder because there's 2 billion swipes a day. They've just completely thrown the algorithm out the, out the door, and they've boiled it down to two things, looks and charm. Are you witty and are you hot? And, and again, maybe Tinder is a bad example for people in the room, but, but I think our kind of dating system is still even set up like that. We, we determine who we like and who we're lined up with based on charm and based on beauty. Those things are not bad, right? Those things are not bad. But Proverbs 31 tells us that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. It lacks substance. So we're basing the foundation of a relationship, possibly even our marriage, on things that don't last. Charm and looks don't last. They're not bad features. They're not bad features. It's not bad to have those things. But they are a bad foundation. And you don't want to pick a spouse based on qualities that are not enduring. And, and the problem that with our society, and the reason we have to have conversations like this, is because we've kind of adopted this consumer mentality, and we've put it into, into relationships with human beings, and we treat humans like products or commodities and not like people. We reduce people. We don't want the heart, soul, and mind. We just want your body. We just want these outward kind of things. And so we, we reduce each other to a list of, of features, right? We base our relationships based on whether or not certain features will work for me. And so we become consumers of people, but people are not meant to be treated like that. You, you are not an assembly of features. You're, you're a person. And as someone interacts with you, um, they will find the things that they love and the things that they can live with. And that's true for all of us. But you'll end up marrying a person 
not a list of characteristics. And, and this is so pervasive that we really don't even recognize that it's happening or that we're doing it, but it really is throughout all society. There was a, um, and, and, and it's toxic. It really is hurting us. And there was an interview with John Mayer, and he said, he said, I can look at over 300 images of naked women before I ever get out of bed. And then he says, this is crazy. So John Mayer, to the best of my knowledge, not a Christian or read the Bible or anything like that. But he says, and you don't think that affects my relationships. So he'd rather fantasize than have a real relationship with a human being. And it, re- it reduces people and it reduces our ability to have genuine, authentic relationships. And so as you walk into dating, you're, you're not a consumer right? The idea of dating is like, well, I'm just going to try to pick whichever one works for me because God built us and designed us to be contributors. He designed us to be community builders. You're not meant to be a taker who uses up people. You're meant to be a giver, to use your gifts to build up others for the glory of God. That's what you're designed for, to be a giver, not a taker. When Adam was in the garden, God brings along Eve as a helper for him. That's not a demeaning title. That's not a demeaning role. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful role because it meant that while Adam was going about a work that was good and that God gave him, God brought about someone who was good and that could connect with him and complemented him so that the two of them together could use their gifts to be a blessing to the world. And that's what you want. You want somebody that you can compliment and that can compliment you as you work together and use your gifts for the glory of God to be a blessing to the world. God didn't give him somebody simply to serve him, right? So a lot of times we think of people that come into our lives, like when we think about a spouse, we're like, oh, great, I'm going to get a butler or I'm going to get a prostitute. That's how we treat people when we are takers, when we are consumers and not contributors. But God designed us to be contributors. Okay, so what do we, what do we look for? I've got, like, I think four things tonight uh, that are um, more like seven things, jet lag. Um, that we're going to look through. And, and, and again, I'm not saying that external features aren't valuable, but when you build a marriage, it has to be on firmer stuff. So we're going to look at kind of those things. The, now, the first thing that I'd say, if you're taking notes, you can write this stuff down. The first thing that I would say is that they need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, I know not everybody in the room is a Christian, so you're like, okay, wait, what? Just hang on, because we're speaking from a Christian perspective here. There's going to be some stuff in here, but if you're a believer in, 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 in Jesus Christ, you want to marry another believer in Jesus. You want to date another believer in Jesus. You want to be aligned with them on the most important things in life. And if Jesus is the means by which you navigate all aspects of your life, then you want to be with somebody who's aimed in the same direction. Who you believe runs the universe will inform your values, and your values will shape your goals, which will determine where you go. So it's an issue of allegiance and direction. Allegiance and direction. 2 Corinthians 6 says, don't be unequally yoked. It says, Paul says this, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? All right, so what is Paul talking about here? Unequally yoked is language from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. It has this kind of agricultural illustration. So a yoke was something that you would put on an animal as they were plowing a field. And what Deuteronomy is trying to say is, look, you don't want a yoke... You don't want to yoke up an ox with a donkey. 
You, you, don't, you, you don't want two different kinds of animals moving at two different kinds of paces with two different goals. So don't hitch them up because it doesn't make sense. And so Paul imports that into the New Testament. He says you don't want to be yoked up. You don't want to be bound up as a Christian with someone who is not a Christian. Now, what Paul's not saying is that Christians shouldn't hang out or be friends with non-Christians. You should hang out. You should eat together. You should be friends. You can be roommates. doesn't matter. But on the biggest issues of life, you want to be bound up with someone who has the same allegiance and who's moving in the same direction. Right? And, uh, and also, if you're in the room and you're, not, and you're not a Christian, don't marry a Christian. It will be terrible for you. One, they will bore you to death. And then two, they will frustrate you like crazy. Right? When, when you get married, you bind yourself to the other person. So if, if you're a Christian, it means that you live by faith in Jesus, which means you believe that he says and you want to do what he says. You want to value what he values, and so you're pursuing Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're not doing any of those things. That doesn't mean that you're a murderer. It just means that your ultimate pursuit in life is not the glory of Christ. It, it's probably more along the lines of self-actualization or personal fulfillment. And if you're not a Christian, that makes total sense for you. But as you begin to make big decisions in marriage, either the Christian needs to compromise, which is always bad news, or you get the non-Christian that's always getting dragged into doing something that they don't want to do. So what ends up happening is that they end up going in their separate directions, right? So some of you, you you've, you've been in situations where divorce has happened. You've grown up in a family where divorce. And, and what do the spouses always say? They say, oh, we just we drifted apart, right? We just moved into separate di- directions, right? It puts a strain on a relationship, and it ends up not being worth it to them. They say, we're just constantly pulling against each other. It's just not worth it. The tension's just not worth it. And, and as a pastor, I see this kind of stuff all the time, right? So you have different allegiances, lead to different directions, and you don't want that in any relationship, but especially in marriage. And if dating is a process that leads to marriage, you want to get this right, okay? So the first thing is you want to date a Christian. Now, not only do they have to be a Christian, the second is you want a person that is pursuing Christ, you want them that, that, that you want to date a person that's pursuing Christ. So they should be, they should be a Christian, but they should be pursuing Christ. Now, anybody can say that they're a Christian. Anybody can say that. The fact that you met them at 710 or that you met them at church or you met them on Christian Mingle, whatever, it doesn't mean anything. So I grew up in the South. There's a, there's a saying in the South, you can put a bow tie on a turd, but it's still a turd, right? <laughs> What's up? Right. Okay. Just because they say they're a Christian, right? That doesn't mean anything. Are they pursuing Jesus? You want somebody that's fully submitted to Christ and pursuing him. Psalm 1 says this, How blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord on which he meditates day and night. And he will, get this imagery, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields, in, which yields fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. You want to be linked up with somebody like that. 
you want to be linked up with somebody like that. There's, there's ways of talking and thinking and living and doing things, but this person, this Psalm 1 person says, I'm not going to do those things the way that the culture or society demands that I do them because I live according to the words of God because they are joy and they are life. And the scripture says this, and this is true, that the person that lives like that is the person who flourishes. And if you're going to bind yourself to someone for the rest of your life, you want to bind yourself to the person who's going to flourish. You want to be with that person. Proverbs 31, guys, for you, talks about, talks about the type of woman that you want to be pursuing, the type of woman that you want to be um, bound with. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She smiles at the future. When she opens her mouth, there's wisdom there and teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household. She doesn't eat the bread of idleness. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord a woman who has reverence for God will be praised. That woman is a blessing to you and your house now and forever. You can look at passages like Galatians 5. Galatians 5 looks, spells out the fruits of the Spirit, the kind of character you want to see in a person. There's the, there's the fruit of the flesh, meaning like what are the flesh grows certain things, and the Spirit grows certain things. So you want to look for those things, the things that the Spirit grows in a person and the person that you want to date. You want a person who has an anchor in eternity, not just someone who names the name Christian, but who is pursuing Jesus. Now, does this mean you have to try to find the person who's perfect? No, do not do that. You will wear yourself and them out because no one is, is perfect. No human being is. But you want someone who's striving to be holy and set apart by the grace of God. You want somebody who's trending in that direction. If, if you are looking to date Jesus, you're going to be alone for a long time. right? But you want the person who wants to look like Jesus. And so they're pursuing Jesus. They don't have to be perfect. They just have to be pursuing, which leads to the third thing. You want someone that will keep the same pace as you. You don't want somebody that you have to drag along, right? So when you get married, your spouse can either double your effectiveness or they can cut it in half. You want to run with someone that brings out your best. It doesn't necessarily mean that your expressions of pursuing the Lord have to look identical, right? So it could be that you, like for you, pursuing God means that you are, you're reading and you're, you're really growing your kind of theological base. And, and for you, like the place of study, that's where you just really grow in your, in your pursuit of God. And it could be that the person you're dating, I mean, they're just like a people person. Like they're, they're loving people and serving people and being on mission towards people. That's their expression. It doesn't mean you guys both have to be the same. It just means that the fire is burning at the same temperature, right? So you want somebody that can keep pace with you in your pursuit of Jesus. All right, so those are issues of, of character, and I would say that those three things, and I, and I realize that those are pretty general things, right? So we're, we'll get into more specific things when we do this Q&A maybe, or you can talk to me later if you got more specific things that you want to talk about. But I would say that those, play, those three things, those are non-negotiable. So they should be a believer, they should be pursuing Jesus and that they should be at a pace of pursuing Jesus that's similar to yours. Now, the next ones are issues of chemistry, right? So you have issues of character and you have issues of chemistry. And, and these, honestly, these are flexible. The question is just how flexible do you want to be with these issues? Um, there's, there's four compatibilities that I see, and then we're done. 
The first compatibility is theologically compatible. Are they theologically compatible? Now, here's what I mean by this. Okay, you're both Christians. You're both pursuing Christ. You're starting to get serious, right? You have to ask some questions about your personal convictions and beliefs and understanding about God. So these things are going to come up, right? So they could be questions about, like, denomination. Like, are you Baptist? Are you Presbyterian, right? Right? Are you Calvinist? Are you Arminian? Right? You might not even know what those mean, things mean. That's, a, that's fine. Right? Questions about the role of the sacraments. Questions about the authority of the church. Right? So these things probably won't come up on the, on the very first date unless you're having like a really awful first date. Um, but further, on the road, further down the road, um, these things are going to start to come up. Right? Now, there's certain theological issues that you, that you can't bend on, right? So triune God, salvation by grace through faith, etc. But, but there are other things that you will bend on, like, okay, what style of church service do you want to go to? Just be clear-headed about these issues so you can celebrate and champion as many issues together as possible. So married couples, it does not mean they agree on every single thing, but it, agree, it means that they agree on most things. So in this category, there are going to be some differences, but you want to make sure that you agree on most things. So are you theologically compatible? Next, are you socially compatible? Are you socially compatible? Now, this does not mean that you are identical. Again, you don't want to be married to yourself. Compatibility does not mean uniformity. It's very simple. It just, you have to answer the question. Do we like hanging out with each other? Right? Now, this might seem like common sense to to some of you, but the reason that I am preaching on this is because I've had to talk to people about this, okay? Like, do you like hanging out with each other? And it goes beyond just being into each other physically, right? So when you are married, most of your time together will not be spent having sex, right? So sex is great. It's the best thing that you do all day. But a majority of the time that you spend with your spouse is just hanging out, doing other stuff, like riding in the car together, eating meals, going to Target, Right, Jed? So we do. We just go to Target, right? All right. Now, if you don't like talking to the person that you're dating, or if you just don't find them interesting, you're just with them because they're hot, that's a problem. That is an issue, right? Looks fade faster than personality. And it doesn't mean that you have to have the same hobbies, right, or interests. My wife is, like, really into running. If you ever see me running, somebody's chasing me. Help me out, right? Do not like running, okay? It doesn't mean that everything will be a perfect match, and it doesn't have to be. You just have to ask the question, okay, how much am I willing to be flexible in this area? Do I like hanging out with this person? Are they socially compatible, right? The next one, are they philosophically compatible, Right? Do you ultimately see your life going in the same direction? Okay? You know, like maybe you, wanna, you want to be a lawyer and they want to be a missionary in Calcutta, right? So you're, that's going to be a really tough stretch to make that one work, okay? But are you philosophically compatible? Do you think in a similar way about your future goals and vocation and dreams and desires, right? When you talk about like where you want to end up in life, do they want to go to the same place? Are you philosophically compatible? And then lastly, 
are you physically compatible, right? Are you physically compatible? Some of you are like, man, finally, let's talk about it, right? And I know other people are like, oh, that's so shallow. But here's the deal. It matters, right? It is okay to ask yourself, am I physically attracted to this person? That is real. Like, that is a question that you should deal with when you're dating someone, especially if you feel like this, this is moving towards marriage, right? When the Bible talks about married couples, it mentions their beauty or handsomeness. If you don't believe me, read Song of Solomon, right? So they talk about it. It's in there. It's real. It matters. The Bible seems to value like how we are physically attracted to one another. So it is okay to be attracted to someone. It just can't be the primary criteria upon which a marriage is built. It's an, okay, it's an okay question to ask. Am I physically attracted to this person? It's just not the primary question to ask. And it's foolish to base the entirety of a relationship on something that eventually fades away, right? So I'm not saying you just got to take one for the team and marry somebody that you find repulsive, right? But what I am saying is that you do well to marry someone who scores a 10 on character and like a eight on looks. Seven and a half is fine. You can go, <laughs> right? Rather than someone who's a 10 on looks and a zero on character, right? So are we theologically compatible? Are we philosophically compatible? Are, are, we, um, are we socially compatible? Are we physically compatible? Okay, with this we end. Uh, and and here, here's the struggle, honestly, with a, with a dating talk, it is because it's not like I'm just pulling out of like a passage of the Bible and I'm kind of really mining that passage. You're, you're applying the wisdom of the scriptures to real life, which I, I, I love that the scripture allows us to do that. But I also know with, with this dating talk, because there's all kinds of different people in the room who have had all kinds of different experiences with dating. Some super positive, some horribly negative. And some of you, you listen to a list like this, or you've listened to message like this, or you've sat in a series like this, and it leaves you super discouraged. Because I'm describing things that haven't described you at all, or your experience at all. And, and if it's you, if, if you're like, okay, what you're describing on like who I should be dating and, and who I should be for dating, I, I'm not like that person at all. Let me, let me encourage you with something. It could be that for this season of your life, you just need to push pause on dating. And that's okay. Get your relationship with God right before you try to get into a dating relationship with someone else. The other thing that I want to say as we end is that Christianity is not a list of characteristics, nor is it a list of character traits, right? It's neither. If, if, if you look at lists like this or you've listened to these messages and, and you think, man, I just fall way short, well, there is good news for you because all of us have. All of us have been devastated by sin. All of us are broken in some way or fashion. All of us have done things that we're not proud of. All of us have seen things that we wish we haven't seen. All of us have, have done things that we, that we wish we haven't done. And all of us have things about us that are really broken and sad because the world is not yet what it should be. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, he said in 1 Timothy, he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, says this, Of which I am the foremost... 
meaning of which I am one of, if not the worst. But Paul says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, as the worst, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. What Paul's saying is this. Paul's saying, look, when I looked at my life apart from Christ, he, he said, I, what I saw, I, I wasn't just a sinner. I was the worst. I, 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 was, I was a mess. I murdered Christians in the street. But God had mercy on me. Not because I'm so spectacular, but he made me a trophy of grace, he says, so that when you read my words, you'll say, look at how low this guy was and look at how the mercy of God lifted him up. Look at what a mess he was. He's killing Christians and God came and delivered him and showed him goodness and mercy. So I don't care what you've done and, and, and what you've been a part of because none of us, None of us can be the men and women that who we are supposed to be under God except by the mercy of Jesus. This Jesus who was the perfect man for us, who was the perfect human being for us, who died and who knew no sin but became sin for us and buried that sin in the dirt and rose from dead that whoever believes in him would not die in their rebellion. But just as he rose, we rise into the life that God has for us and into joy that he has for us forever. And when you put your trust into Jesus Christ, the very spirit of God begins to work on you to make you more and more like Jesus as you pursue him. So as we pursue relationship with one another, we pursue this relationship with Jesus, growing more and more and more and more into his image. And it's in that ultimate pursuit, in that ultimate pursuit, we find the love that we so desperately desire, so desperately need, that we're designed for. And it's out of that love that we can truly love each other the way that we've been loved by Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, this moment together tonight. And God, I thank you for the way that your word is helpful. And uh, Father, I do. I pray for the person who thinks about their dating life, either past, present, maybe even future, God. And it, and it brings discouragement. It it, it brings, uh, they're disheartened. And so, God, I just pray tonight that they would know by the power of your spirit, God, just the grace that super abounds. Father, and that in you is found mercy and forgiveness and love. And God, you're not just the God of a second chance. You're the God of another chance and another chance and another chance. God, you say that your mercy, it's fresh and new every morning. So God, as long as we draw breath, Father, we draw grace. And, uh, and Father, I just pray once again, God, for those that, you, that even now, God, they just have an experience of your grace and love and forgiveness um, by your spirit. God, help us uh, to date in a way that not only honors you, but God, that truly becomes a source of life and joy for us. Uh, I thank you for um, how you've designed relationships to work. God, so they are always pushing us towards the amazing relationship that we have with you. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.